She did not hear it. It didn't come through, so we'll have to try it again. Yeah, where the rowdy crowd is here, yeah. (laughs) All right, hello, everybody. (coughs) What's that? Oh, Oh, that's right, we have those, that's right. We have two wireless mics. The do-do-do band. Do, 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 do. All right, turn your Bibles to Mark 6, Gospel of Mark, Chapter 6. And uh, let's open with prayer and let's be grateful and thankful to God for His Word and for these wonderful Gospels and uh, for all that he has done for us. And so getting our minds in gear to hear his word, that we turn to him with humility and reverence, with great thankfulness, uh, and let's bow and pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for another opportunity to hear your word. Thank you that we can in freedom and in security, <clears throat> set aside time to gather together and listen to your word, to read your word. We thank you that nothing can subvert or usurp your will. 
that nothing can come against you, and that through your Son, Jesus Christ, we are your saved children, and therefore nothing can really come against us. There's many things that we have to face, as we know, but you, Father, have promised us strength and victory if we depend upon you. But even when we fail, Father, we thank you for your forgiveness and for your patience and that you have constantly and forever will love us and provide for us and also open our hearts to the truth of things so that we may be overcomers. And so, Father, tonight or today we ask that you guide and direct us in this wonderful passage uh, in this in this time uh, that we have to learn it. We ask in Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> so the uh, we're going to be looking at here, the, the it's the feeding of the 5,000, the crossing of the sea, when Jesus walks on water, it happens the very next day, and the instruction of the disciples and the crowd after that. And the whole thing is in John chapter 6. Uh, but, of course, uh, it's <clears throat> uh, other details about it are given in the other Gospels. That's why we're going to start in Mark 6. Um, but this, the whole thing is one thing. It's like one uh, very important event. The, uh, the work of Christ that uh, made for a lot of people to follow him, which were his miracles, then his feeding of the 5,000, and what he says to the disciples all along the way, uh, and leading into the crossing of the sea and into the next day, and what he teaches on in the next day, it's all related uh, to a particular, uh, extremely important foundational issue that each of us has to face uh, when it comes to our lives with God. Uh, <coughs> and... And in this case, the, the imagery I want to press upon here is that Jesus is in your boat. Uh, the, the disciples, in two different occasions, uh, are in a, in a bad storm on the Sea of Galilee. And in one, in one instance, Jesus is in the boat and he's asleep. And they wake him up and they, they say something ridiculous to him. They say, don't you care that we're about to perish? Uh, and so you have him there at that time. And then in this instance where he's walking across the water and he actually intends to go right past them, so it says. And they see him, think he's a ghost, and he tells them that it's him. And then he comes into the boat and calms the storm. And so we have uh, with the disciples, just like with us, uh, a life that is surrounded by a lot of issues. And a lot of problems. and But you've got the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is in your boat with you. And therefore, we're called to have courage. And to have the ability, for, for instance, these disciples, uh, the, the amount of courage they have at this time in the Gospels is, not, is hardly non-existent, really. But when the church starts, they're going to need it. And Jesus is training them. He's showing them how to have courage because they're going to need it. He's not going to be with them throughout the church physically. He's going to be in them but not with them physically. They're going to have to endure way more than a storm on the sea. 
I mean, all of these guys are going to be martyred. All of these guys are going to be persecuted. They're all going to go without. They're all going to suffer terribly, and they will always have to serve others. They can't. And in this, you know, uh, calling that they have, they can't run away and hide. They can't, like, throw in the towel and say, you know what, this is too hard. They have to do it. They're called to do it. Now, of course, if they didn't do it, God would call someone else. I know that. But, but the same is true of us in our lives. Each of us have a ministry to fulfill. And in that ministry, we have to have the courage to do the will of God despite how hard it is. Despite what's going on in our lives. We can't say, well, look, God, I'm taking today off because I'm hurting or I'm taking today off because, you know, a particular person in my life is, is making it very, very hard. We don't get a day off. Now, I know we do take a day off. Uh, and we're going to deal with that as well. Because we are, um, we carry with us the, uh, as one writer put it, I think I have it on the board coming up, he called it the, the inmate the fellow inmates, and that was his description of the sin nature, his fellow inmate that's always there and always looking to rule and, uh, and is always fighting us, always trying to make us afraid. So don't live that life. It is a disaster. Don't do it. You will suffer. It will hurt. It won't be any fun. And the sin nature uh, is constantly tempting us. And so there's a lot. You know, there's a lot to stand firm against. And so, you know, when a disciple, when, say like Peter, in the future in like Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, he's in front of the Sanhedrin and they're threatened. They throw him in prison. And, you know, his, he's under threat of death. And we have Peter's. You know, we would expect, you know, what do we expect from Peter in that instance? And he's so courageous, it's crazy. Now, do you think, of course, they're going to remember the night that they were in the boat, saw Jesus walking on the water, and he got into the boat and calmed the storm. They're going to remember that. They're going to remember that they have nothing to fear. Do the will of God and don't fear the consequences. Because, and actually rejoice in the consequences because what God is going to do with your life, and my life, is, as, uh, as he says, is seeding abundantly beyond what we ask or think. So if you have the Son of God as your own, and this is what Jesus is going to point out to us, he's going to heal, he's going to feed, he's going to show incredible miraculous power. And they're all going to see it. And then he's going to say, you need me. And, of course, they would say, well, yeah, heck yeah, we need you. We want you to feed us. We want you to heal us. We want you to do all the stuff that we need done. And he's like, no, that's not what I mean. The Christian life is not you sitting, uh, uh, you know, on your, on your butt, I guess, and watching me do things. The Christian life is not you depending upon just depending upon me to just do stuff for you can you imagine if every time we were like oh you know jesus can you fix that and bam it was fixed can you 
can you improve that? And yep, it was done. Every time we asked, just the miracle would happen. And then we'd have no life in ourselves at all. What he is going to convey after he shows all this power is that we, if we're going to live, we need to enter into union with him. We need to, as he's going to say, eat my flesh and drink my blood. We're going to have to enter, actually enter into a union with him where we're in him and he's in us. That we're actually going to, in a very supernatural way, we're going to possess him. So if you have the Son of God as your own, as stated by Paul so many times, which means you're in Christ. This is how Paul writes it so many times in his letters. In Christ or in Him and Him in you, then you have a treasure that is literally priceless. And a treasure that could only be described by somebody who has spent their life uh, trying to understand it from the Scripture. What does it mean to have Christ? What does that really mean? And you're going to say, well, he's in me. Yeah, but what does that mean? Like, what are the ramifications of that? What is that supposed to look like? Or what does it mean in my life that I have Christ? If you have Christ, you have a priceless treasure. And nothing, everything else fails in comparison or pales in comparison. Uh, In the boat, they're surrounded by hunger. They just had 5,000 hungry people that they fed. Sickness, and Jesus is going to heal lots of people. Dangerous storms. And all of these are images of life. You know, what, hunger, hunger for what? Uh, in in Jesus' prayer, he tells us, you know, pray, uh, give us today our daily bread. That means all of our needs. But to depend upon God for our needs. And so <clears throat> the fact that it may seem that we don't have all our needs, that we're lacking something, physically, mentally, uh, materially. The promises from God is that you don't. You know, one of the, in, when Jesus is in Gethsemane, he does pray. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, it's your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And Jesus in Gethsemane says, Father, your will, not mine. Be done. He uses it. He prays his own prayer. And uh, so we have to submit to that will. And the will, the way of it is, as God says, this, whatever is in your life is my will right now. I may change it, I may not. But it is my will. Will you submit, you know, will I submit my soul, my thoughts, my joy, my peace to him? See, it's amazing in the Scripture where, you know, the Scripture tells us you all better have peace because if you don't, there's something wrong with you. I say, well, you know, you all should have peace. I mean, all of us? Because different people are going through different stuff. What about people who are suffering greatly as opposed to those who who live fairly comfortable? Uh, The command is to be at peace. The command is to love and have peace and have joy. And therefore, the Word of God tells us that um, it is absolutely necessary. It is required, in fact. So we have to say to ourselves, well, there's absolutely no excuse. 
And if I don't have peace and joy and love in my heart, then that's my fault. There's a sin somewhere. There's a lack of faith somewhere. There's a doubt somewhere. And doubts, this is what we find in the disciples. They're going to doubt. They're going to be afraid. But if you've got the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, here with you, indwelling you, or in your boat, as it were, then we need not fear. So our ignorance, and we, we all start off with this in the Christian life. We're ignorant of the ramifications of this. You know, you're, you're told if you're properly trained in, in the Word of God and your teachers or as you're reading or whatever, you're, you're told that Christ indwells you, and He does. In Colossians 1, Christ indwells every single believer. You know, what does that mean? What is it for? And we don't know anything about it. And if we think we do, we don't. Because it takes a long time of learning. And even after a long time of learning, you realize that you still have so much more to comprehend about an infinite, holy, perfectly righteous God indwelling this body, like this nasty, old, decaying body, and in my dumb brain, and my sinfulness, and that's kind of like oil and water, isn't it? Like, what am I, and what is that supposed to do? Or what is it supposed to look like? And so, Jesus is going to reveal to us that fulfillment in life is not physical. And this we know, but it's astounding to me how many people in our world even though uh, the church is 2,000 years old and the gospel has been said again and again and again all over the world. It's probably the most repeated theme in the world. I read today, reading about prayer, and someone said, you know, the Lord's Prayer is probably the most repeated group of words that have ever been uttered by human beings. I think I never thought of that before. That's absolutely right. And yet, the world is running around thinking, well, what's fulfilling? And it's economies and wars. Uh, you know, who's in power? It's money. It's gas prices. It's on and on and on. It's all material. And it's all, that all though we need it, it's obvious that we need gas uh, to exist in our society, although... Uh, Satan is trying to take it away from us. I blame Satan on that, not the greenies, but uh, because we wrestled not against flesh and blood. He's just trying to destroy the economy of the West, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, Jesus is going to say, look, there's a bread from heaven that if you eat of it, you're never going to hunger again. And they are absolutely confident he's talking about physical bread. They don't know anything about it. But that's okay, because none of us do. The problem is, is when we're not willing to learn. The disciples were willing to learn, even though they were, they struggled mightily with this understanding of it. But it's not actual bread that they need. They need him. He's the bread. And therefore, they need him as a shepherd. All right, so... 
Jesus is in our boat, but you know, what does it mean? And you know, he's going to guide us in that. So what does a sheep do? It, great humility has to follow the shepherd. The shepherd's going to call, the shepherd's going to speak, the shepherd's going to give commands. The shepherd's going to communicate with the sheep, but also tenderly care for the sheep. Protect the sheep. And we got to listen. And so look at Mark 6.30. And the apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest for a while. For there were many people coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a lonely place by themselves. Now, Jesus is going to look upon the multitude and he's going to have compassion on them. They need a shepherd. These disciples need a shepherd. But they're obviously a separate group from the multitude. And the reason why they're a separate group is because they've been called already to a life of service. He's already called out the twelve. And they have been called to a life of service, just like we have. So the training of them is going to be a little bit different. Now, this, is, this training is not, quote-unquote, specific to an apostle. This is for all believers. Now, how many believers are in the multitude? Uh, we don't really know, but we're just grouped that as, you know, they, they look like the human race. But those who have been set apart unto God to service, uh, are going to be trained a little bit differently. They, obviously, the circumstances of, their, of them are different. So, what is different about them? Well, <clears throat> they reported to Christ all that they had done and taught, which apparently was a lot. So, he sent out the 70, right? There's, there's twice where he sent out the disciples. There was also another time where he sent out 70, two by two, and they were to go to the surrounding towns and just to Israel, not to the Gentiles. And they were to minister, perform miracles, and preach that the kingdom of God was at hand. So this is a lot. I mean, it's very cool that they can do miracles, I'm sure. And, and we find in their response, they're, they're jazzed about it. You know, we cast out demons in your name. We healed the sick. But we also see here that they're exhausted. Right? So, and Jesus understands this. He sees it. So he says in verse 31, right, time to rest. And the disciples must be ecstatic. Come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest for a while. And why? As Mark fills us in, there were many people coming and going. Right? You just healed, I don't know, 50 people. And you think, all right, that's the last one. Now I can go and, you know, have a coffee break or something. And here comes number 51. And here comes 52 through 60. And they all want to be healed. They all want to know about Jesus and the kingdom of God. And it's your your calling to tell them this. When do I get a break? It says that they didn't even have time to eat. Never mind get a break. There's no time to eat. And so, uh, this is going to be an amazing psychological test to them. Again, this gets to the Lord is our shepherd. 
How are we going to have courage? And how are we going to face what we have to face when things don't go our way or as we expected them to go? I mean, this is a tremendous test for all of us. I mean, you know, we're not going to be, you know, uh, real servants of God if we're part-time servants. You know, I'll do your well, God, when it's convenient, when it's easy. Now, a psychological test is about to hit the disciples. They're exhausted. They've been serving the people for weeks upon weeks. And Jesus tells them that they're going to go to a private place and rest. They must have been overjoyed. We're just going to, no more people. We're just going to go be alone. No, no more asking this and asking that. And uh, I'm sure there's like there's grateful people, there's ungrateful people, there's sick people. There's you know, there's all kinds of stuff they have to deal with. And the prospect of being alone and just resting is awesome. And so as it often happens with us when they're about to do something that we're anticipating is for our happiness, like rest. I don't mean anything sinful now. I mean anticipating with happiness something that I get to do that is not wrong for me to do. I'm interrupted. And by whom? The needy. These needy people. So in verse 33, and the people saw them going, and many recognized them. They're like, hey, look, it's the disciples. And they ran there together on foot from all the cities. And got there ahead of them. So as they're pulling into the place of quote-unquote rest, the crowd's already beat them there. And the crowd's waiting for service. And when he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw the great multitude, and he felt compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it was already quite late, his disciples came up to him and began saying, this place is desolate and it's already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, the contrast between Jesus and them is, is pretty striking. Uh, he feels compassion for them. And he says, these people need a shepherd. They need me. And so he teaches them. The disciples want them to go away. Send them away. This was supposed to be a day of rest. It says that it's getting late. So they've actually spent the whole day serving again, this great multitude. And they've had enough. And they say to Jesus, send them away because they're hungry. And there's nothing there. There's no resources by which the people can eat. And what is Jesus going to say to them? Verse 37, he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. Now, we know, of course, it's impossible for them to feed 5,000 people. But I guarantee, well, you just have to read it. They are going to be the ones who are going to serve the food to the 5,000. The disciples are. The the bread's not going to fall from heaven into everybody's lap. The baskets are going to be filled by Jesus' miracle, and then the disciples are going to have to go from group to group and serve them as many times as necessary. The job that these guys have to do in service of others is not remotely over. And even after this, it's not going to be over. 
They're going to be on the sea all night long rowing. They're not going to sleep. Anyway, so this, um, what the Lord does for us by having him is that he brings us into fellowship with the Trinity. The Trinity, three persons in one God. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who love one another, rejoice in one another, talk to one another, communicate with one another, serve one another, in fact. And we're brought into that relationship. Because it's eternal life. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all fully God. They're and and therefore, you know, what they what they do and are for one another is what God is. Love and spirit and light. But they but there's three. So they're in fellowship and always have been with one another. And so we're entered into a well, I guess you could call it a family. I don't think that's the proper word. But we're entered into a trinity. And in that, this is why, you know, God says to us that we need one another, right? Christians are not to be isolated. We're to be members of, we are members of a body. We're, we're to be members of, if possible, a church. Uh, we are to serve one another, have the same mind, same purpose, same love, same faith. Uh, we are to, we're perfectly fitted with each other. and We're to equip one another for the work of service. And so, you know, this fellowship into the Trinity is also one of service and sacrifice. And I think for what we initially do with service and sacrifice is think that it's something like a necessary evil. Like if everybody was just self-sufficient, then we wouldn't have to do it. Like if everybody could just take care of themselves and suck it up and take care of yourself, then we wouldn't have to do it. But in fact, we find that the Trinity serves one another when none of them need anything. But yet the Son obeys the Father. The Spirit is sent by the Son and the Father. The Father plans and gives to the Son. And you know, at some level that we probably can't fully understand, but we do can understand that they, they serve one another and sacrifice for one another. And therefore, it's not necessary as you know people need stuff that's not the point although people need stuff so it's kind of the point like i mean if someone's poor and languishing like jesus said if you say well you know what i'll pray for you go in peace good luck i'm praying for you when you have the ability to ease their suffering materially if you don't give to them and Jesus found you in violation, like you had no love. So we are to give to them. But if the whole point was for everybody to have enough, if God would just, you know, like like socialism, give everybody just enough, and everybody would have enough. And at any time anybody had a need, it would just drop from heaven into their lap, and they'd be fine. But yet in our world, there's a great disparity. There are those who have way too much, and those who have nothing, and all the rest of us in between. And therefore, the service of one another is an act of God, 
not so much because of need, but because of love and the unity that the human race is supposed to have for one another. Right, so as the Trinity is unified for all of eternity, God has made mankind unified. It wasn't good for the man to be alone, so when he built Eve, he took her from Adam's rib. She was a part of him, but she came, became way more to him than a rib. But God took her from him, and they were to be united, and they were until the fateful fall. And, and so, you know, the ultimate, so the, the way you can find the purpose in this is that you look to the end. Once God has delivered all from death and sin, that the mankind is unified in Christ the head, and we are a unified, perfectly holy, perfectly uh, seamless body of family. That's not by mistake. That's what the Trinity is. But therefore, you know, the, the essence of God, because we're made in his image, is given to us. And so, first and foremost, the, the training of the disciples here, uh, what, what gets to courage for them is the ability to say, I'm exhausted. I'm hungry. But, it is the will of God that I serve these people right now. All right, now, that's part of it, but that doesn't get all the way to the heart of courage because the rest of it is that I do so with joy. You know, in that situation, I can say, look, you know what? I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm exhausted. These, a lot of these people are ungrateful. And, you know, I'm going to trudge through it. I'm going to trudge. I'm, going to, I'm just going to, you know, burdensome service of others. And we're to get over that as well. And to be able to do this like the Trinity does. And that's what Jesus is training them to do. Which he's training us to do. So, uh, again, he says, you give them something to eat. So, again, this is a part of eternal life. It's not just some fulfilling a need of someone. Service, sacrifice, is a positive aspect of eternal life. So Jesus tells them to feed the people. This is obviously impossible. What is it? What if Jesus intervenes? And he does. It's only impossible without the Lord's miraculous intervention. So <clears throat> their solution is to send them away. And basically, if you're just going to tell somebody, go somewhere else and buy food, then you're not doing anything. And <clears throat> they mustn't do nothing. See, here's the, the other aspect of this, is that we're going to rely on the Lord to do stuff, and we're not going to do anything, you know, like in service of others. We're not going to do any heavy lifting. We're not going to do anything. All right? I'll pray for you. Good luck. But that's not it. These guys have to actually do something. And it's going to be what the Lord tells them to do. Sending the crowd away is doing nothing. Jesus is going to have them feed the whole crowd. Boy, what a day this is going to be. This running on like two days now. Maybe more. I don't know. I don't know how long it's been since they've rested. But 
don't forget that. They're on their way to a place to rest. Just think of, you know, you, you, maybe you know the place. These are fishermen who know the Sea of Galilee pretty well. Maybe they know exactly where they're going. And they can, it's a barren place, as was just described. So, you know, they're thinking they've seen it, or they have a picture of it in their mind, of this quiet place on the sea where we'll just have some food, chill out by the fire, oh, and sleep for days, you know. And then when they show up, and they come around the corner, they go down the cove or whatever it is, and oh my God, there's thousands of people there. And Jesus, as soon as Jesus sees them, compassion. As soon as the disciples see them, send them away. And this, Jesus is training them for the work that they will be called to do, which all of us are called to do. But they can't feed 5,000. But they can if Jesus makes the bread. You know, obviously, the work can't commence until the Lord does his miracle. Now, think about that. This is exactly what he does in our lives. The miracle in each of us is the word of God and the filling of the spirit that produce in us wisdom and power and energy and actual desire. It is supernatural that God within us, with his truth, produces in us a desire to serve and a desire to, uh, <clears throat> you know, to do his will with joy. That's energy. To want to do something and it's joyful to do it. It's, it's bounding energy when you, when you have that. And that's the energy. That's the miracle. It's a miracle to take a fallen sinner and make them want to serve their enemy with love. God's love. There's no greater miracle than that. You know, making a few thousand loaves of bread is nothing compared to that. And that's what God has done to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. So they are going to feed the crowd. And so this gets back to well, what he will say later on in the upper room. And Jesus will say to them in John 15, 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. The disciples will feed the crowd. You feed them something. They're like, uh. And they even calculate a number. They say, we would need about 200 denarii to feed all these people. 200 denarii. So a denarii is a day's wage for a laborer. So it's 365 denarii would be a year's wage. So we're about two-thirds of a year's wage, a little less. So say something like, I don't know, $20,000 in our money. If someone makes around 40 to 50K, maybe. About 20, is it, well, Jesus, we're, first we're going to need $20,000, which we don't have. And then we're going to have to go into town and buy it all. How the heck are we going to transport it out here? Like they have, what are they doing? <laughs> What are they doing? But don't we do the same thing? That's impossible. Do you know what I'm going to have to go through, Lord, to do that? Do you know how much that's going to cost me? I'm saying this to myself now. Believe me. Because I have the same stupid inmate inside me that you do that tries to convince me that it's way too hard. Just compromise a little. And, and I do. No, but look at the disciples here are just 
figuring out or looking at all the ways that it can't be done when they have the Lord of glory. Whom? This, is, this isn't the first day they've seen a miracle. Right? In John 6, it says the people are following him because of all the healing he's done. And wherever they find he is, they tell everybody in the surrounding area. And everybody in the surrounding area tells their neighbors and their neighbors and everybody from the, everybody who's deathly sick to hangnails probably are running out to get healed by Jesus or at least to see it. And all I can think of is how things are going to be wrong or how hard it's going to be. That, Lord, this is impossible. But it's not. The disciples and us are not to do nothing but work and serve, knowing that the supply of energy and things, whatever we need, will come from the one who can do miracles. See, the one who can do miracles is the one who can do the stuff that we can't. The fact that he can do the stuff that we can't doesn't mean that we do nothing. We do what we're called to, knowing that the things that we can't supply, boundless energy at times, wisdom, often, sometimes maybe even material, are going to come from him. So that, as you can see, that phrase, you know, let go and let God is, has a part of truth to it, but it's not really true. That's like I do nothing. And that's what people want the Christian way of life to be. It's very popular now for the Christian way of life to be that. As you can see how popular our church is. Very popular. That you just say, Jesus loves you, don't worry about it. It doesn't, you know, holiness doesn't matter, commands don't matter, way of life doesn't matter, struggle doesn't matter, and God Almighty, no one really should suffer in testing and all of that. The justice of God, the holiness of God, the commands of God, the judgment of God, uh, and it's glossed over. You know, God loves you, just relax and watch. We are to watch. But we're not just to watch. We are to do. So the great shepherd, which is Jesus Christ, teaches us courage by showing us that we can rely on his ability to do what we cannot. See, later on, these disciples are going to remember Jesus fed 5,000. You know, when Peter's in the midst of the synagogue and they're threatening him, like, you know, I got the Lord. The Lord indwells me, and I saw him walk on water. I saw him feed 5,000. I saw him raise people from the dead. I saw him heal blind and lepers and lame. I saw it all. I, saw, I heard him teach. I know who he is. I know what his power is. And he's going to give me what I need to do. And he will supply the means because that's what he does. The means I cannot supply, and nobody can. So he teaches us. He does this over years by showing us that we can rely on his ability. That's why so often he comes through for us when we are really undeserving. He's showing us something. When we have messed up by sinning, that he comes through with healing and deliverance because he's showing us something. Now, the purpose that some have taken from that is to say, well, let's continue in sin that grace may increase. In other words, 
it must be the grace of God then that I sin all the more and that God keeps coming in and delivering me. But we're missing the point. The point was to show us the grace of God and the power of God. But eventually, if we continue in the path of sinful bad decisions, he doesn't deliver anymore. He did this with Israel over and over. Where they get a pass, they get a pass as God's revealing himself in the wilderness. God's revealing himself and revealing himself. And then it comes to a point where God says, you're just not getting it. And then deliverance is taken back. That doesn't mean you can't still recover from that. All of us can at any time truly recover. So on our end, and this is truly the key to courage, is what we can do is trust. And trust isn't always easy. We can trust. And if we trust, we can love. You know, there's, there's a connection there. If I do for that, we know what love is where it's told to us. If love was just some like automatic energy that God poured into us, then he wouldn't describe what love is in his word. We're told what love is. This kindness and gentleness and graciousness and uh, not judging and supporting and benefiting another, giving to another. And he tells us what that is, and then he tells us to do it. But if we don't really trust, if we have this doubt that, you know, that's not really going to work out for me. They're going to take advantage of me. Or even to say, you know, I probably can't do it anyway. What's the point? I can't do it anyway. See, that's a lack of trust. What the disciples will see in this passage, the disciples have doubt. They have grave doubts. They even know See, Jesus is going to calm the storm, and they're going to say to themselves, this is definitely the Son of God. And they're still not going to get it because they don't understand exactly what that means yet, which is fine. They will understand it. If we can trust, we can love, we can serve, we can forgive, we can give, we can not judge, we can be kind, we can be gentle, we can be good because we trust the one who told us to do it. And we trust that when we set off to do good, we'll be able to do it. We trust him for that. So in other words, he supplies the bread, but we're still serving the people. So if our minds, however, are twisted up with fear, then we can't. So when Jesus walks across the water, in Matthew's account, Mark leaves it out. In Matthew's account, Peter says, Lord... If it is your will, command me to come out and walk with you. And Jesus says, come. And it's the most amazing thing that it says in Matthew's gospel that Jesus, uh, sorry, that Matthew walks. I got Matthew and I got Peter and I got Jesus. Sounds like a bad joke. <clears throat> that Peter, when he gets out of the boat, he actually walks. But then he gets afraid. And I love, as one person put it, uh, I, I got it coming up. I put it up on the board. Uh, he said, you know, before you judge Peter, how many of you have gotten out of your boats and tried to walk on water? Right? I mean, at least he made it a few steps. But what Jesus is showing him here, showing him there, which he's showing us, is not that we should walk on water, but that when we serve him, 
we may start out okay, but when we start to fear, then it falls, service falls apart. In other words, if I say, all right, I'm going to serve this people. These people, maybe they're ungrateful. It's hard. I don't want to do it. I'd like to rest right now. Thank you very much. Whatever. And when I'm doing that, I may say, you know what? This is going to hurt me more. I'm going to lose out. These fears pop up. And what it really is, is that inmate who's telling you, don't do it. Yeah, yeah, I know all those people in the Bible, so-called, did it. Don't do it. It is not going to be good for you. Fear is the flesh telling us that this course is no good. It's not good. Fear, the flesh, tells us that Jesus won't calm the storm. You know, when you put this whole story together, it's amazing that as we started, the disciples were out serving all these people, healing and teaching, and they come to Jesus and they tell him all that they did. And Jesus says, you guys need to rest. If Jesus says you need to rest, they must have been tired. So they go off to rest. But the people followed them. So there is no rest. So what are they going to do? They serve the people, healing again and teaching thousands, right? There's 5,000 men. There might be 10,000 people there or 7, 10,000, however many. And <clears throat> they're serving and serving them. And then it starts to get late. So, you know, they can see the sun going down and they're probably like, get them out of here. When do we rest? And then they, so they, you know, maybe it's an excuse. I know how we can get rid of them. I'm, I, I'm making this up, but it can, I can imagine, you know, John or James going up to somebody and saying, you know what, I know how to get rid of them. Why don't we tell them that, you know, they got to eat. They need to go get some food. So they tell Jesus this, probably expecting Jesus to say, yeah, yeah, you should probably tell them to go into town. But <sighs> heart-wrenching response. You feed them. <laughs> Come on. Feed them what? You got twenty thousand dollars. You know they. What? It's just wrong. It's impossible. You feed them, and then probably to their. I mean, I. That must. Have, I can't imagine. I just can't imagine being one of those disciples. You see Jesus make the bread. You know you've seen him do miracles before, but you see him make all this bread and fish out of nothing. And it must blow you away, right? Amazing. But at the same time, you've got to grab a basket and take it over to them. They take, they take it back, take it, fill up another basket, take it over to that crowd. It's going to take hours to feed these people. You're a waiter. You're a waiter of a miracle. You know, it kind of dampens the miracle, doesn't it? Or does it? All right, that's over. Jesus sends the crowds away. The disciples are going to be like, thank God, what a day. What a day. And they're probably all ready to drift off to sleep. And then Jesus says, now go get in the boat, row across the river. Not the river, the sea. It's seven miles wide. Row across the river. When they get in the boat, it says it in the Gospels, it's dark out. It's not even daytime. Can we go in the morning? Get in the boat and go. 
And you're going on your own, by the way. I'm not going with you. And as they're crossing the sea, is a calm, you know, flat glass-like water that's easy to row on. I have a, I have a little bit of experience with rowing. I rowed crew in the in college a hundred years ago. Those are in neat little light shells that cut through the water. Uh, and I've also rowed with fishermen. This is amazingly enough. I rowed in Ireland with a with a, a team when I was a young man. <laughs> with two men two men to an oar in a big old way to you know, 10,000-pound boat. And they used to have regattas in these things. They, the different counties would row against, or different towns would row against each other. And one morning they asked me to join them, and I thought, oh, yeah, that would be great. Whew. It was amazing. You know, I was all bragging about how I rowed crew in college, and I was, at, I was over in Ireland at the time. And on the crew boats, you have the, the seats are on wheels, so they slide back and forth. The oars are carbon fiber, so they're super light. And you just twist them, and they flip in the water. The boat itself is a little tiny shell. And then I get into this thing. You're on a bench with some smelly Irish dude next to you. And the oar is solid oak. <laughs> weighs about 150 pounds that you have to, like, ugh, through the water. And now, the disciples are doing that. And they're against the wind. This the gospel tells us that the wind is contrary. And they've got to row seven miles. They make it halfway across in about eight hours. It's by the time they see Jesus, the gospel gives us all the, this information. It's great. By the time they see Jesus, it's three a.m. They started at nightfall, maybe around seven. And they're halfway across against the wind. They haven't eaten. They haven't slept. Uh, they, all they've done is serve the people for days. And Jesus told them to get in the boat and go across. And eight hours later, they're halfway across and rowing against the wind. And just, dis- they must have been despondent, exhausted. And then they see a ghost. So they think. They see Jesus walking on the water. What kind of a miracle is that? <laughs> it's really, truly great. Uh, Jesus is going to, just like he, you know, walking on the water is what? Well, guys, you need a boat. I don't. You need $20,000 to go to the village and buy food for 5,000 people. I don't. I just pray and I make it happen. You're at the mercy of a storm. You have to row against it. It may capsize your boat. They're afraid of the storm and they're fishermen. Those are nasty storms on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus said, I can calm a storm with a word. You can't. And so the, the, the message is, and it's not the full message. The message is, I can do all of these things that you couldn't remotely possibly hope to do. Now, <clears throat> that doesn't mean that, you know, you and I stay separate from each other. You know, I'm the great king, you're the measly peasant, and I'm just going to do stuff for you. 
Whatever you can't do, I'll do. So you can't pay the bills this month, manna from heaven, you know, money from heaven. You get sick and you can't solve it, boom, I will heal you immediately. Uh, and that's we find out well, you know, that it doesn't work that way. And then so what he's going to do to us is say, look, I'm the one who can do all things, and you have to be in me. Not beside me eating the bread, so to speak, but in me. In me and I in you. And what I can do, we're going to enter you into it. It doesn't give you the power of miracles. It means that my life is only going to be yours when you enter into it actually, literally, spiritually, uh, and of course by his cross is the only way that that's going to be able to happen. And then, you know, what, what is important in life becomes our reality. And it's not bread and calm winds and healing of sicknesses. Those are all material things. It's not that. He does those things to show us who he is. He does those things to show us that he has power over all things. All things. All the world he has power over. But what he really truly wants us to do is love one another, serve one another, have joy. It's all the inner stuff. It's the spiritual stuff. That's what he's given us. That's the important stuff. And if the bread doesn't show up and we die of starvation, you know, we never lose that. We're in the Trinity. And we're in their society. And, and then earthly things, material things, no longer have... They're necessary, but they're not priorities. What becomes a priority is the heavenly things. And that's what Christ is showing them here. You know, as we progress through John 6, that's what he's going to tell them. But he has to set it up first. He sets up the whole day with these miracles. And, and by which we may think, okay, well, courage comes by waiting for Jesus to do the stuff that we need to do. And he's going to say, no, courage is going to come from you entering into me and knowing that you're in me and I'm in you. And therefore, that relationship, I can't even leave you if I wanted to. Not that he would want to. But I can't even leave you. I cannot disunion myself with you. And you and I are united in soul, in spirit, in heart, in life. That's what we're united in. And if I send you loads of bread or just a little bit of bread, a few crumbs, just know that I've, I'm way smarter than you. you know, my will will be done. If I allow this hurt in your life, just know that I'm way smarter than you. It is my will. I'm not here to be your servant. Although he is. you know, He served us with his life. But this union with him is a spiritual life that far overreaches the physical. Far, far. And, and that's what he's entered us into. And if we can grab hold of that and trust him for the rest, 
So he said, right, seek first my kingdom. All these things will be added unto you. But seek my, well, I should rephrase. He said, seek first my kingdom and its righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. And then so we don't, he said, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be concerned about what you're going to eat, drink, and wear. It's a, I'll take care of that. But what I'm showing you is the power that I have over all things. All right, we'll continue with it tomorrow. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that you uh, have blessed us so much through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this display, and we get to see these disciples and learn as they learned without actually having to row across the sea. We, but we can see, Father, through their eyes and through the words that you have recorded through your spirit that the lesson that they had to learn that we need to learn. May we grab hold of it, Father, and enter into life as you would have us. We ask in Christ's name, amen.